From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. Australia continues to be a nation of little to no community transmission of COVID-19. But despite this victory, our national vaccination efforts have come under scrutiny, particularly that we're falling well behind initial targets of vaccinating most of the population by the end of the year. Today, we bring you an update on the government's plan to reinvent our vaccine rollout and the other issues happening with vaccine hesitancy. I'm joined by our resident COVID reporter, Bianca O'Grady. Thanks for joining me. So we might just start. One of the things that's happened in the last couple of weeks is a growing fear or vaccine hesitancy around the rare but serious side effect of having an AstraZeneca vaccine. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that, but particularly how that's now being compared to a clotting risk from COVID disease itself? Yeah, so the the clotting situation with the AstraZeneca vaccine, which may also apply to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because they're both um, adenovirus-based vaccines, so which is a more conventional type than the mRNA. So it's basically, you know, you've got this engineered virus um, that's carrying a protein um, from the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. So it essentially teaching the the, uh, the body to recognise that spike protein and hopefully react against it, which it seems to do with reasonable um, efficacy. So for some reason, and I don't know the mechanics of it, there is a, an extremely rare, and it's worth stressing, extremely rare possible side effect that seems to now be linked to um, the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is, uh, it's called thrombosis uh, with thrombocytopenia. So it's essentially um, clot, but with very, very low platelet levels. And so far in Australia, we've had two cases of that. When you look at the actual total number of AstraZeneca vaccines that have been delivered, it amounts to a risk of around one in 350,000 doses of vaccine delivered. So incredibly low when you compare, for example, the clot risk associated with the pill, which I don't know off the top of my head, but it's certainly much higher than that. Um, So we are talking of very, very low risk. And I think with the Johnson & Johnson one, there's been maybe six cases, uh, which we don't have here. In the US, there's been six cases of cerebral venous thrombosis with the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So um, I guess the point that has to be made is, yes, this is a possible side effect and it's good that um, there is awareness of it, but it has to be put into perspective compared to the risk of clotting and and of thrombotic events associated with COVID-19 itself. Um, And there was actually a study that was, it's non-peer-reviewed, so it was published in a preprint server, but it was looking at the risk of cerebral venous thrombosis um, after a diagnosis of COVID-19 and comparing that to the risk after getting influenza and also the risk after getting a dose of one of the mRNA vaccines. So these are not the AstraZeneca vaccines. The mRNA ones are the Pfizer and um, uh, Moderna vaccines. But essentially the risk of cerebral venous thrombosis is six times higher after getting COVID than it is after getting influenza or after getting the mRNA vaccines. So, um, you know, we're, we're talking a substantially high risk of this particular kind of rare clot that is associated with COVID itself. So it is very much the lesser of two evils in this case. It, it comes down to numbers um, that if you get COVID, your chance of actually getting one of these um, very rare clots is substantially higher than your risk of getting it after getting a COVID vaccine. So... <laughs> 
you know, it's difficult because with a vaccine, you're actually choosing to put something, you know, to do something and you're taking an action and that action could have, um, you know, very, very unlikely event could have uh, dire, so, a dire um, results. So, you know, it's, it is a numbers game, but until we know, I guess, who is most likely to be at risk of these clots um, after vaccination, and that's, you know, that's a really important question because if we know who's at risk, then obviously we um, can avoid giving them these particular vaccines um, and that would, but so far there's been such low numbers. I mean, in Australia, there's only been two, but obviously so far most of the cases have occurred in, um, in fact, I think all of the cases have occurred in people under the age of 50, which is why the age of 50 is such an important, um, or has been kind of pegged as this important cutoff point. So yeah, the kind of long story short, yes, there is a very low, but um, present risk of um, of this rare type of clotting disorder seems to be associated with the AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson vaccines, but that has to be viewed in the context of the same risk of um, that as clotting disorders if you actually get COVID. So, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one to kind of uh, reason out. It's um, It does kind of come against up against people's sort of emotional barriers as well and fear of, but what if I do this and get the vaccine and then I get this in, as a result? Yeah, and this week we've seen the travel bubble with New Zealand, the Trans-Tasman bubble, as it's called, opening. And at the same time, there's discussion about when and how we'll open our borders to other countries. But, you know, the big beaming problem through all of this is that we remain a significantly under-vaccinated population. Mm. At this stage, uh, fewer than 2 million Australians have been vaccinated, and I believe that most of them have only received one dose so there's a lot of problems here. Do you mind telling us, Bianca, what what is the problem and, and what are these stresses that are really putting Australia in this position? Well, I, I mean, I guess part of the problem is that we don't have a huge domestic manufacturing capacity for these vaccines. I mean, obviously, CSL and... Um, I can't remember the name of the other company. There's a, a company that CSL has partnered with to manufacture the AstraZeneca vaccine, and that's fantastic. But unlike um, the countries in the EU and US, we can't, we don't have the capacity to produce huge amounts of these vaccines. Um, it would be nice if we had. <laughs> that would probably relieve some of the pressure. But, you know, I think also it just feels like there is, the, the, the federal government is just fumbling this rollout, which is kind of, staggering to think that you know we have we've known these vaccines were coming i mean the, the possibility of vaccines coming would have been you know on people's minds as soon as the the virus emerged um there's been plenty of time for there to be systems put into place to, uh, and and infrastructure and coordination to ensure that the rollout happens more smoothly and more rapidly um and obviously that hasn't happened there are so many unknowns um, there's there's such a lack of transparency around um, where the vaccines are going, where they're coming from, who's getting them, and that does not engender a lot of confidence in the situation in Australia. Where we're extraordinarily fortunate is that we have, at this point, no community transmission um, of COVID-19. So that is really our saving grace, that we don't have a lot of this around. So the fact that so few people are vaccinated um, is, you know, is not as dire as the situation might be in somewhere like India, for example, where, um, I mean, their 
going into, I guess it's a second wave or a third wave, which is looking absolutely horrendous. Um, and obviously their um, vaccination would be a very high priority, but it's just such a huge population uh, that it's a, it's a massive challenge. So, you know, we, I think we can't open our borders until we have a greater sense of protection as a community against this virus. It's interesting, Bianca, uh, when you say that we're very lucky in that we have no COVID transmission. And that's actually something that I've heard a lot of government health officials say recently in light of being asked questions about our rollout and why it's so slow to play devil on the government's shoulder for a second. I think looking at that, some people are saying, yes, because we have no COVID, that should actually be the reason why we are doing hundreds of thousands, if not more, vaccines a day, because we have a very healthy health workforce. No one is sick with COVID, so there's nothing stopping us from putting vaccines in people's arms at the moment and no significant service disruptions on that front. So I guess... Now they're looking at opening up the vaccination program for all people over the age of 50. But the big problem with this is the amount of doses going to general practice hasn't been announced to be changed. No. So I don't, I don't see how at this point there's actually a net increase in how many we're doing no. a day. I mean, vaccine providers simply don't have the vaccines. Where are the vaccines? I, like that's that's just the question. I have not yet seen any degree of satisfactory explanation where are the vaccines. I mean, by this stage, we were supposed to have completed um, just having a look at the the rollout list. I mean, we were, we've had phase 1A, which was, um, you know, frontline healthcare workers, aged care, that was 1.4 million doses. Phase 1B, um, which is healthcare workers, the elderly over 70, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people over 55, um, adults with, uh, you know, medical comorbidities. That was supposed to be 14.8 million doses. We are nowhere near, nowhere near that. Where are the vaccines? And the- where are the 800,000 supposedly a week from the CSL facility in Victoria? Yep. Supposedly they're coming off the production line, but where are they? Because we're definitely not putting eight hundred thousand in people's arms no, every week. No, and we. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. I, I just wish that there was. Or not even wish. I would say we should demanding, and and obviously I think, um, you know, a lot of people are demanding for the government to actually tell what is happening. You know, there's this desire to kind of manage the, the, the optics of this whole equation and that just does not work. You know, you cannot keep people in the dark and feed them bullshit on something as important as vaccinating a population against a deadly disease. So, you know, there's understandable uh, frustration that I would say is tipping towards fury, you know, just hearing about GPs being left with fridges full of AstraZeneca vaccines because now all of these people are now cancelling their appointments um, and now the government's saying, no, if you're over the age of 50, you should go and get it. it. It's Where's the Pfizer vaccines? What's happening with those? I mean, we know that there was a small number of those vaccines that were stopped from leaving the EU, but that was only 200,000 doses. There, as far as we know, that contract was still um, sound. There's The EU, despite Morrison's, uh, I would say, lie that these uh, that he, the um, vaccine, Pfizer vaccines are being held up in the EU, the EU has denied that. So it's just, there's a hell of a lot of questions and certainly no answers coming out of the government right now. And, and as you said, you know, we've, 
everything's ready to go. We don't have GP clinics swamped with COVID patients. We don't have hospitals swamped with COVID patients. You know, we could be marshalling huge numbers of, of um, healthcare workers, even, you know, the army to, to deliver these vaccines. I mean, Bhutan, and admittedly it's a small nation, but Bhutan vaccinated 93% of its population in something like 16 days. Um, Again, small, uh, you know, a, a small nation, but I think 800,000, it's a population of 800,000. Still probably more than Australia is vaccinated in the last few months. It's, you know, there just is, uh, there, it doesn't make sense from, uh, particularly in the context that we've had plenty of time to get ready for this. We have not had, except for, you know, I guess Victoria midway through last year, which obviously was in the healthcare crisis. You know, most of Australia has, been able to uh, to weather this storm and be in a position to roll out these vaccines as soon as they came, but they haven't come. So looking at the comparison game, I know that obviously we can't compare ourselves to other countries in terms of COVID and how we're dealing with it, but if we turn to how Israel has dealt with their vaccination program, they've been pointed to as a shining light, really, of how you vaccinate a lot of people very quickly and there was a study published in Nature this week uh, which pointed to how well that those efforts were going. Yeah, so, well, Israel, and even, I mean, the US as well, but we'll get to that in a minute. So, uh, yeah, Israel um, has now vaccinated um, around, so nearly half of its residents have received the first dose of the vaccine, more than a third have received the second vaccine a dose, um, and something like so nearly two-thirds of the population that is eligible for vaccination has received a vaccine so this is quite massive I mean Israel is not a small nation and um, you know it shows that it is possible to achieve this and obviously um, they have still got cases going on um, and I think something like 7.5 percent of the population has actually had COVID-19 as well so you know they they've they've been looking i think um by the end of uh last year they were administering 150,000 vaccines a day i think at the highest point the 21st of january there were 231,000 vaccinations were administered in a single day so 70% of the population over the age of 60 um, I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal what they've achieved. And even the US, I mean, given how far behind the eight ball they were at the end of Trump's presidency, um, now just over half of all adults in the United States have received at least one dose um, and nearly a third are fully vaccinated. So that's 130 million people have been vaccinated. Um, and again, you know, yes, they have infrastructure. Yes, they have um, vaccine manufacturing capacity, but you know, so much of that was in a complete mess because of Trump. Um, so it's not like they they really kind of hit the ground running with this. So um, it's kind of interesting looking at the US because the Democrat voting states um, have the highest vaccination rates, and the Republic Trump supporting states have the lowest, which shouldn't be surprising. But still, kind of think, oh, really? But um, yeah, Australia's. We, we have such a solid health infrastructure. We, we should have done so much better than this. So we really need to get it together here in Australia and we really need more transparency. Absolutely. We need more transparency, more honesty about what's actually happening. I think it's the, you know, the kind of lack of information and lack of honesty is just really galling. So, yeah, I think if people understood what things, where, where things were at, where the vaccines were at, 
um, that would certainly go some way towards reassuring that uh, it would reassure me that someone is in charge of this whole thing. Hopefully the discussions this afternoon at the National Cabinet meeting give us some of these answers. Thank you, Bianca. Thanks, Francine.